the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The estate planning team is an Ohio registered investment advisor. The following is for informational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any securities or financial products. Be sure to consult with a qualified financial advice and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. You have financial goals and dreams. We can help you achieve them. Welcome to Financial Food for Thought, the show that answers all the questions on how to maximize your lifestyle and preserve your wealth. Good morning, everyone. You found Financial Food for Thought. You got Mark Dolly and Carrie's uh, spending time with her family this weekend. So you've got me for the next hour. And beginning to smell like Halloween out there, right? And as if you're a long-term, long-time listener to Financial Food for Thought, brought to you by the estate planning team, you know that in the month of October... I like to play a little game that I call What Scares You and What Scares Me. From a financial planner standpoint, meaning that a lot of times what scares you is when I'm referring to when new clients come in to see us or we're reading the financial news stories, the shock lines, what people are concerned about or what people are worried about in terms of their financial or economic situation. As opposed to maybe really what a financial planner who's been helping families build financial plans for over 30 years, you know, we may have a different perspective of what scares us. So we'll, we'll be highlighting some of those topics. Also, I want to continue this week. Um, on our last week's show, I started the uh, one of my 50-30-20 rule uh, presentations, which was basically an idea saying uh, that's a very common financial planning tool that will help you lead to a very successful retirement. But the idea is it works great if you get started on that when you're 25 years old. And the question becomes, is it is it still going to save the 50-year-old who hasn't started saving for retirement yet? And that's what I said started last week. I'm going to continue on that. We also got big economic data. We're taping the show on Friday, and of course, it was triple play uh, payroll Friday, and a big upside, uh, upside surprise on the jobs data, and that is something that really raised eyebrows and and caused the markets to fall initially. Then, uh, as a the taping of the show, they seem to be stabling out a little bit. Okay, so. 
the, the what scares you, what scares me. So October. Well, I guess we could look at the October scares of the stock market, right? Because there's certainly a rich history of that going all the way back to, you got it, 1929, right? And uh, the Depression, where in the month of October, the markets were down 20%. Okay, um, how about 1987? Does anybody remember October 19th? I believe it was that date. It was a, certainly, I remember Black Monday. <laughs> it was a Monday. And that's the day that, in that one day, the Dow dropped 22%. Um, you know, and also curious that the same time frame, October of 1987, you could get a U.S. Treasury bond at 9%. Now, again, we, we saw what was happening, what, you know, the bond route that's happening. Um, and so as much as, uh, you know, we could say that we're worried about stocks in October, this October, I think we can say, you know, what's going on with the bond bomb wreckage that's happening. Um, in 2018, on October 10th, the S&P 500 was down 3.29% in one day. Not quite parabolic, which we usually define as a 4% move, but certainly volatile. And it's an interesting thing this year. Um, it's one of the things we look at the volatility. Although we've seen the markets come down in recent, um, you know, 30, 60 day time frame, it, it really hasn't been that volatile. In, in other words, if it, one of the ways I look at volatility is how many trading days did the S&P 500 make a two percentage movement either up or down in any one day? And I don't believe, well, I don't know what happening. I, we don't have today's close, but I don't think there's been any yet so far this year. There's been lots of days where it's been close to 2%, but I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure if there hasn't been too many uh, 2% movements. Um, maybe they maybe we were in the right at the beginning of the year. There could have been a couple, but um, I, I think maybe one up and one down. But so since then, no, no it hasn't been a whole lot. Um, so the volatility hasn't been there, and it's been kind of a, you know, I I don't know, I don't know what I think. There's just a lot of headwinds out there. So so that's one you know thing to say. Um, I guess um, you know a lot of a lot of things that may be scaring a lot of uh listeners and, and our clients today is the threat of a recession right and and there's certainly no shortage of cassandras out there and of course cassandras is a reference in greek mythology right you know cassandra was the beautiful trojan priestess you know who who caught apollo's eye and and so to win her favor he he kind of bestowed upon her the gift of true prophecy uh, but then when she didn't return his favors, um, he cursed the gift, saying that, well, no one's going to believe you anyways, Cassandra. And that was her fate. you know. So she would always be telling these true prophecies, but no one would believe her. Um, and, of course, Michael Burry of the you know big short fame, the guy who made hundreds of millions of dollars um, on, in the, the financial, fa uh, uh, the uh, real estate, a meltdown in 2008 he goes by a twitter line or a twitter feed he calls himself cassandra um all right so here's some of the so are you concerned about this let's let me just read some of the shock lines for the cassandras here's one new data reveals a crash not seen since the great depression could hit in 2024 here's another one. fed prediction that u.s will deplete savings by october out of touch with average americans 
Another one. Vanguard sees recession coming amid stubborn inflation. Here's another one. A recession is still well on its way. In fact, we may already be in one. That was a very recently uh, about, you know, in, in early October. Another one. Cracks are starting to appear in consumer spending, warns Citigroup CEO Jane Frazier. The worst may be yet to come. Uh, Rubini, you know, Noriel Rubini of Classic Cassandra. Warns stock risk 10% drop as stagflation worries mount. Kevin O'Leary, you know, everyone knows him, Kevin, warns chaos is about to begin for the U.S. economy. Wake up and smell the roses. Here's another U.S. economist warns Americans to hunker down and save your pennies as the economy overheats. And, and again, that's just some of the Cassandras that are out there. But, you know, the, the, there's, this may be the most anticipated recession ever. Um, and I don't know, we, we could look at the triple play payroll that we got this week. And there's a lot of data there that suggests that we are not about to go into a recession. Um, so early on in the week, we got the jolts report and, that's where, you know, the job openings and labor turnover survey and the actual, uh, you know, amount of jobs available came in surprisingly at, at high at 9.6 million. Okay. When the consensus was looking for about 8.8 million. So, so almost a million more available jobs than what the street was looking for. Um, and, you know, it's funny because the previous month, that's what the street was looking for, about 9.5 million. And it came in lower, 8.9. So then this month, they updated the street, updated their forecast to 8.8 or 8.9, and it came in at the higher, 9.6. So it's funny how that worked out. Uh, meaning, of course, the, the street doesn't know any better than anyone else. Um, now, there's also, we saw a decline in the quits rate. Okay. Um, so maybe that is, you know, backing up some of the shock lines that are saying, uh, you know, the U.S. is running out of their savings accounts, you know, cause they, now they, they have to kind of can't, they, they, they don't feel comfortable quitting anymore cause they don't have that, uh, that, that cash reserve built up. Um, and of course, you know, it, I guess, you know, stocks fell on the news because it's saying that the labor market is still tight. Then, we got the ADP report and the newfangled ADP report that I don't even know why I continue looking at this. Um, but all right. So they, they're actually, they said the, the jobs that were created were 89,000. Okay. Now that was like half of what the street was looking for. The street was looking for 160,000. All right. Um, and, you know, the, uh, Nella Richardson, who was the chief economist at ADP, his quote was something like, um, we are seeing a steepening decline in jobs this month. Additionally, we are seeing a steady decline in wages in the past 12 months. And that's kind of not what the rest of us maybe thought was really happening. Um but whatever, you know, they, uh, th that was what their, you know, report said. Okay. Then we, on Thursday, we got the weekly jobless claims 
and they came in at 207,000. Okay, no problem there. Still, still showing a tight labor market. And then we got the big upside surprise this morning with the monthly jobs report, the non-farm payrolls. The street was looking for 170,000. The range was on the low side, 150,000 to the high side, 240,000. And it, <laughs> and this is what shocked everybody, of course, because, uh, you know, when we, we got the news that it came in at 336,000 new farm barrels. In addition to that, the, the prior, the prior two month revisions went up at another 119,000 in revisions over the previous two months. So that combined, you know, close to 450,000 jobs. That was like, now <laughs> that's, this is where good news on the labor front, uh, bad news for the Fed. Um, the unemployment rate stayed at the 3.8% as previous month when, you know, the consensus was thought it would even be dipped down to maybe 3.7%. Uh, wage growth, you know, this is one of those, again, we're, we're, you know, watching average hourly earnings. Are they going up? In other words, our worker is workers pay staying, uh, competing and staying ahead or staying, trying to keep up with this non-transitory inflation that we're experiencing, right? And, so on the month, you know, wages were up 0.2%, very modest. You know, previous month, it was up 0.4%. The street was right in between. The street was looking for a 0.3% increase. Year over year, very sticky at 428 So, I mean, as much as it's not saying that wages are going up, I don't know if it's also indicating, as the, as the economist from ADP said, that it's a steady decline in wages. I don't know if we see that either. Um, but again, stocks drop on the news initially, um, uh, you know, but it also indicates that or a lot of people believe that how can you be talking about a recession when the job market is so strong and unemployment is at 3.8 percent? Um, and, and so that is kind of. Um, you know why, you know, there's a lot of people saying, well, maybe we're not on the brink of a recession. But if you're still concerned about that, then there are ways when you're, when you're running and when this is what we've done for a lot of our clients, um, when we run their financial model, um, we, we, we can model in an economic downturn. Um, meaning in, in, in this case, meaning that typically what, what, what comes along with an economic downturn is a stock market correction or crash in many cases, meaning that if you're assuming that your investment or you built your model based on a 5% rate of return, you might not get that if we're in a recession and maybe a 10% loss or depending on how much you have in the market, or in this case, even bonds if the bond market crash, you know, so, so that's the idea. So instead of you know, you don't, what you do is for the next year or when you think the economic downturn can happen, that's the adjustment you make in your model. You say, hey, don't assume a 5% rate of return, assume a 12% loss. And then the second year, don't assume a 5% rate of return, assume maybe a 0% gain, maybe no more losses, but also no big gains. 
And then maybe the next year you say, well, maybe we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe we're getting out of this recession. Um, I'm still not confident that I'm going to be back up to my 5% rate of return, but maybe 3%, you know, something like that. So, so you, you model in the downturn and then the recovery period and then back to normal and now see how that affects the longevity of your plan. And that's something that we've been helping clients do for, you know, decades and saying, yeah, you know, it's maybe it's not such a bad idea that if you're building a model or a financial plan for the first time and you do believe that there's a possible, you know, an economic downturn in the next 18 months or 24 months, maybe you ought to model it in. Now, if it doesn't happen, okay, well, you're going to be ahead of plan. Right. In other words, is that that's the is that the worst case scenario? I don't know. Um, But at least if it if it does happen, you've already modeled to say, how does that affect the longevity of my plan? Do I have to be worried about it or can I, you know, handle it? Um, And it won't really affect the long term. In other words, that's what we always say. The the next recession or the next economic downturn, the next stock market crash or what have you doesn't really affect you this year it's happening i mean it might i mean there's a lot of other ways it can affect you the most would be if you're still working one of the things we're worried about in recessions that people lose their jobs but that's a a separate case i'm just talking about if there was a a correlated stock market decline or a bond you know investment rate of return or as opposed it, it is a loss instead of a return that doesn't really mean you run out of money that year that that happens it just means in a weird way, you won't have as much money in the end, right? And, and that's what we're looking for. That's where, that's what's t- it's tough to do in your head is to model out. How does a, how does a market downturn this year affect my longevity of my plan 25 years out? Um, but certainly the models can, can help you get a, a feel for their handle on that. Um, So what else scares you? So one of the things is, um, you know, this idea of kind of like one of the baby boomer dilemmas that we've been listening or hearing from a long time is the idea was, Mark, I don't think I could ever retire. Or, you know, Mark, I'm working forever. And there's certainly lots of surveys and studies that kind of back that up most recently. Um, here's one. Let's see. Um, okay. Americans say that this is their new post pandemic retirement age. All right. Um, this was Franklin Templeton, um, who they call it their annual voice of the American worker study. Okay. They surveyed a thousand working adults. Okay. And they said, um, they said that three, three factors keep coming up to the reasons why uh, th- their clients are not feeling confident about retirement. One is the pandemic. Okay. A second one is inflation. And the third one was the uncertain economy. Okay. The same things we we're talking about. All right. Um, and so they said pre-pandemic, the target, you know, age of retirement was 62 in their surveys. And now post-pandemic, that has increased to age 65. Um, there's another one. MIT did a, a study, and their results say they say that 33.5% of those surveyed 
say they they didn't expect they would ever be in a financial position to retire. Over a third, or right right on a third. Okay, so a third of the of the survey respondents said, I don't think I'm ever gonna be financially independent to retire. Okay. Um Here's another, a Northwestern survey. Um, they indicated that, again, about a third of the respondents said that financial uncertainty keeps them up at night. Okay, so that's what's scaring them. And that's an interesting thought, scary thought, that a third of uh, Americans are not confident about their their ability to retire and what's even worse they're it's keeping them up at night um now but what scares their response to that meaning what scares them, they're saying mark i can never retire okay it, to me it's not that i'm scared about that we're going to have another recession or i'm not scared about uh, you know what maybe the client is saying what scares me is the false sense of security when they want us to build their plan assuming they never retire right because that's what scares me because that may not be a realistic you know they may be saying mark they feel that that's a conservative assumptions you know i always talk about two parameters that you need to make anytime you you know you're making an assumption for your financial model one is that it's a conservative assumption and a second one is that it's a realistic assumption now they're not always the same thing. You could have a very conservative assumption that's not realistic at all, or vice versa. This kind of falls along that pathway. You know, it may you maybe feel it conservative to assume that you're never going to retire, meaning that you'll always be bringing in this paycheck. But I really don't know how realistic that is, and that may be giving you a false sense of security. All right, because again, when we look at the major reasons why people retire before they plan to retire. Of course, the number one reason is health, right? Either your health or a loved one could be a parent. We've had, you know, people, obviously you've heard no people. We know people, we know clients who've had to retire to take care of an invalid parent. Um, or it could be your spouse. All right. Um, who, who needs the, you to stay home, retire from work and, and, and as well as it could be you, obviously. A second, probably the most popular reason is because no one's offering you a job anymore or you got laid off. Um, that's what happens in bad recessions, right? Um, I mean, and if no one's, you know, you know, no one's guaranteeing you that your job is there forever or as long as you have it, right? A third one could get an idea that, you just get you get phased out. In other words, the the, the technology advances, and and you're not willing to to educate to the point where you have to stay in. I mean, the classic example is that is the advance of computers, right? And and remember the time when there was such a a, a such a conversion from people who worked their jobs for decades never having a computer and then all of a sudden computers were introduced and they had to go in and learn those languages you know in, in those computer languages and a lot of elder people you know said i i can't do it 
Um, you know, I, I hear that a lot too from the, the teaching, the teachers who say that, you know, the teachers that, that what they have to put together today, you know, in terms of, uh, uh, study plans and, and, and how they're reviewed and all the online stuff that all the parents, all young parents are looking for, you know, to, to get everything online and, and all the education online and the older teachers that I just can't do it. I can't keep up with it. Uh, I'm just going to retire. So. So, so to, to us, that's the idea is not that the solution to your concern is just saying, I'm going to work forever. Um, what's, what's maybe more scary is saying, no, because that maybe we really should build a detailed financial model and assume that, you know, you are going to retire at an age, maybe it's not 65, maybe it's 70. Um, but if you're saying, hey, I know I'm going to be working a long past 70, I don't know if that's where I want to start with. Uh, maybe you can see, well, what if I do uh, for one of these reasons? Now, if you're still healthy and want to work, God bless you. But in that scenario, your plan isn't failing you either. It's just you're adding gravy to the plan. As opposed to you, you're just making the assumption you're going to work to 80 and because of health reasons, you got to retire at 70. That's a bigger problem. And that's what we try to get across to our clients. All right, so you listen to Mark Donnelly of the estate planning team, and this is Financial Food for Thought. The estate planning team is a Ohio-registered fiduciary planning firm. We've been helping Cleveland families build custom financial plans for over 36 years. If you'd like more information about our firm, you can visit our website, financialfoodforthought.com. Just one string of letters, financialfoodforthought.com. On there, you'll find some of the financial articles that I sometimes talk about on the on the show. Calculators, if you're trying to run a mortgage calculator, if you're trying to see if you can afford that new 7% 30-year mortgage rate. Um, you can also link to our radio show podcast. So all of our radio shows, well, a good bank of them are on podcasts, and you can go back and listen 24-7 at your leisure. And there's a button that, that directs you to that on our financialfoodforthought.com website. You can also sign up for a free, no obligation consultation. These can be done in person or if you're, you know, they can be done over the telephone, which a lot of people got in during the Rona and the pandemic shutdown. A lot of people got in the habit of just doing the phone calls, which was fine. You know, we can do it either way, whatever you're most comfortable with. Um, if you don't want to visit the website, you can just call our office and schedule a free consultation. Our phone number is 440-239-2090. That's 440-239-2090. Just leave a message and someone will get back to you on Monday. So during October on the radio show, I play the game that I call What Scares You, What Scares Me. And... I tell you, one of the things that's scaring me is what is our government? Do? I, I can't even, I don't even have time today to talk to the government. I mean, first, you know, the gates of wrath. I, I have no idea the gops, what they're doing. It's it, it just, it, it just 
confirms the the gap is this party is stupid. They just cannot govern. I don't know what they're. They just completely cut their own throats. Um, and then, of course, we've got Biden's. I, I guess I call it the the Build Back Border Wall Better plan. Um, you know, his Build Back Better plan failed. And and then remember, he said, "Well, he'd never build another you know wall." And now he's going and he's trying to make reasons why he's doing it because the money's got to be spent. I, I don't know, but uh, you know, the, the, I, I don't even get me started. Carrie was here. She'd be going berserk. Um, so another thing that we try to calm people's fears of financial planning is saying, well, how can you get a handle on one of these things that are out there that you think is going to derail your retirement plan. Now, certainly one of them is inflation. Okay. And we've been talking a lot about inflation. And I think it's the non-transitory inflation. I think we'll be talking about it longer. Uh, You know, hopefully, you know, I, I, I'm not scared about hyperinflation. I've made my feelings on that well known on this radio show. And for those who have not heard in the past, you know, a lot of times you'll see shock lines and people will be worried about hyperinflation. And hyperinflation is, is, is kind of defined in, across the globe as when you have 50% price increases monthly. Not annually, monthly. Uh, compare that to uh, what what I think most Americans have this idea. To them, hyperinflation is like a double digit uh, inflation annually. You know, something like that. Um, but one of the things that the models can do, and this draws us where gets us back to the fifty thirty twenty plan, is we can modify one of the financial tools, whether it's Benjamin's 4% rule or what I'm talking about, you know, the 50, 30, 20 rule or one of the other general financial helping tools is you might have to modify it for a higher inflation rate. If the time you ran it the first time, you were using a lower inflation rate. And so I'm using the 50, 30, 20 example to, to illustrate that. Now, on last week's show, you can always go back and listen to the podcast. Um, what I did was I said, well, can the 50-30-20 rule, and for those who do not hear, I'm just, I can't repeat everything, but just the 50-30-20 is a simple rule that says, however how much money you make, all right, you set up your budget. 50% goes to your mandatory living expenses, 30% goes to your discretionary spending, and 20% is your savings rate, all right? And if you can follow that, throughout your working career, it'll guarantee one thing. You'll have a very good and healthy and happy retirement, especially if you start that rule at age 25 when you enter the, the, the working world. And it doesn't matter if your starting wage is 50000 or 150000 If you can follow that rule, you'll be just fine because what it does is it, it always has you spending less 
than what you, you, you actually could spend. In other words, you're living below your means. In other words, you're, you're getting the compounding savings rate and you're, and you're not getting caught up with what we call the lifestyle creep, meaning every time that you get a pay increase, you don't save more. You instead spend more on discretionary. And that takes you to a higher level that you want to maintain when you go into retirement. So last week, I said, well, yeah, obviously that works if you start at 25, but could the 50-30-20 rule save the 50-year-old who hasn't started saving for retirement yet? And running through the numbers, I showed you, yes, absolutely. But I had a caveat saying, but in that example, I was assuming that the 50-year-old's pay increase, and I used 2%, to match kind of like the Federal Reserve's target 2% inflation rate. I said, if that holds up, okay, then, you know, and I started saying, let's say the 50-year-old couple or whatever is making $100,000 a year and they're getting 2% increases. They plan to retire at age 67 and then go on and then collect their Social Security. And then, but for those remaining 17 years, they're saving 20% of their 100000 And let's say I assume that their investment is now earning 5% a year. And I said I'd come back this week and say, well, yeah, what happens, though, if inflation rears its ugly head and is much higher than the Federal Reserve's 2% target? So now we're going – and again, that's one of the things that – you know, you could go to the DIYI, the you know, the do-it-yourself internet, and a lot of times the 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 solutions that you get there is, oh well, if, if you're concerned, you know, either you know one, uh, you know, work longer, two, spend less, or three, uh, get more risk and get a better return. And in this example, if I'm using a five percent rate of return, well, you know, what try to get better than that or something like that. Now. But in any of that, but the problem with that DIYI solution is they don't really tell the person how to do it or how much, you know, work, how much longer do I got to work or spend less? Well, well, how much less do I have to spend? Um, you know, or you need a better return. Well, well, you can't leave your money under the mattress, right? Well, well, what rate of return do I need to get back into the ballpark? Then, you know, all you hear is the crickets. Right. Because that takes somebody to run a, a model that and, and that's what, you know, is not being done, in my opinion, is not being done very well. Um, so but we, we we've been doing that for clients for decades, you know, that type of financial planning. So let's say. Um, all right. So let's take the solution. Well, let's let's change a scenario. So now I'm saying I'm going to rerun the 50 30 scenario for the 50 year old. And I'm still going to leave the wages at 100000 but now I'm going to assume that inflation is higher for longer, meaning that I'm going to assume for the, you know, the next few years, it's running at a 7% annual clip. Okay. And then it drops back down, not to 2%, but to 3.5% ongoing. So, you know, 7% for the next few years, then 3.5% ongoing. Okay. Now, I'm also, though, to be realistic, 
if that was the case, then we should see that their pay increases would go up a little higher than in my first last week's example when I was using 2% pay increases. So I'm going to assume 3% pay increases, which is still conservative. In other words, 3% increases at 7% inflation or 3.5% inflation. All right. Now let's say they still want to retire at 67. Okay. Um, now, when you talk and they want to maintain or we're going to force, we're going to maintain that they still save the 20%. Now, again, that's that compoundingness. In other words, if your pay goes up 3% and you're saving always 20%, you're, you know, you're saving more and more compoundedly. You get the picture. Um, and we'll assume we'll stick with our assumption that the investment rate of return is 5%. All right. Now, so that comes down to, well, I'm going to have to, something's got to go, right? Because when you talk about mandatory living expenses, that's what you have to pay if inflation's going up. Where you can control inflation is on the discretionary spending. Let's see if I can give an example. Um, okay, uh, travel, I guess, is, is, is a common example. So let's say, and originally you were saying, okay, part of my 30% discretionary spending is travel. And let's say you were, you were, you were planning a Hawaii trip that was going to cost, you know, $12,000. Okay. Um, and, but because of inflation, you go try to book that trip that you researched a couple of years ago and it's no longer 12,000. It's now 18,000 or 20,000. Okay, well, here's the deal. You don't have to do that trip. You may say, hey, I can't do the 18000 I'm just going to have to find another trip that I'll really enjoy at 12000 You can't do that with your real estate taxes, right? I mean, you know, that's the point. So in this example, we're going to have to assume that with the higher inflation, that's, you know, the mandatory living expenses, the 50% that we're calculating. So, for example, in year one, we're saying 100000 uh, So 50000 is what's got to cover the client's mandatory living expenses. But that 50000 is going up by inflation for the next few years at 7%, then at 3.5% ongoing. And that's what they have to cover first. So if you're, and if, and secondly, if we're maintaining that they always save the 20, we're not declining that. Well, then obviously it's the discretionary column that has to decrease. So in this example, you know, the 30% discretionary, discretionary has to really drop immediately to about 28%. And let's say by the time they get down to age 67, it would be now their plan would be the the mandatory spending would have to be 60%. You've got 20% that they're still saving, and that leaves 20% for discretionary, not the 30. So that would be one way to do it. Now, are, it, does that work for this couple? Okay, so now let's look at the numbers. So now we say that, okay, they were retiring at age 67, Okay, so now what is their lifestyle creep gotten to them at that point? Because that's what they maybe want to maintain as they go into retirement. They want to maintain that lifestyle. So at that point, their um, 
their daily, their mandatory living expenses are about 99000 Okay, up from when they started with fifty, so that's what kept you know that that's what we that's what we had to build in because we had higher inflation for longer, right? And the discretionary, as I said, is now twenty percent. You know, well, their their pay at that point is one hundred sixty five thousand. That's the hundred thousand with the three percent pay increases for this for the you know seventeen years. All right, so there so so of the one hundred sixty five thousand. Okay, now, and then the discretionary is around thirty three thousand. So, and now, now as they're going to retirement, they don't have to do the 20% savings anymore, right? So that can drop off in terms of a cash flow or an expense because you don't, they don't have to save anymore. Now we're going into the distribution phase, right? Um, now, by the way, what has their cumulative savings gotten to by that point? Okay, based on that 5% rate of return, now their investment savings is around 739000 Okay. Um, now, so here we go. So let's see that, well, what is it going to cost to maintain that lifestyle, that projected lifestyle now at age 67? Well, you take their 100,000 um, or close to 99,000 in mandatory living expenses and another 33,000 in discretionary. So that's about 132,000 and change. That's the type of lifestyle. If they want to keep that lifestyle going, that's what we need to say. Can they do it now? So now we can switch over and and borrow Bill Benjamin's four percent rule, and say, okay, so now we're starting with a nest egg of seven hundred and thirty nine thousand. We're gonna again assume that the client's gonna live for thirty years. That takes them to age ninety seven. Is that long enough? And then by Benjamin's math, that seven hundred thirty nine thousand, you know, that would be approaching zero at that point based on the annual five percent rate of return. Benjamin used five percent, and the inflation, uh, and then the four percent rule says they take out four percent of the seven hundred thirty nine thousand in year one. Okay, which is around thirty thousand. Okay, and then every year after that, they increase the withdrawal by what Benjamin used for the inflation factor, three and a half percent. Okay, so in year one, they take out of their retirement, they take out thirty thousand and change. Year two, they take out thirty one. Year three, thirty two, and so and so forth and so forth. So by the time they get down to age ninety seven, their withdrawal rate from the investments at that point is over $80,000. That's what's keeping their lifestyle going. Now, you got to add to that the Social Security income. Now, in this case, there was going to be about $72,000 of Social Security income between the spouses. All right. So, you know, starting at age 67, their full retirement age. So basically, when you add up the 72000 in Social Security, um, plus the 30,000 first year withdrawal from the nest egg, you're getting about $103,000. But what did I say their lifestyle at that point was? Ah, it was 132,000. They're about $30,000 short. Okay. They're not even in the ballpark. So that's how the inflation can affect the long, you know, how it affects the longevity of your plan. All right. Now, so you could say, well, if so, that wasn't obviously now that 50, 30, 20 isn't working too nicely. So you could say, well, 
The second DIY solution is, uh, okay, I got to work longer. Well, how much longer? That's usually the question, you know, my clients ask us, well, how much longer do I got to work? So I just targeted here. So let's play, I play a little what if games and I said, well, what happens? Um, so that keeping the same higher inflation rates, okay, we're going to run it that they work not till 67, but till age 72. Okay. Now, how does this scenario look? All right. Well, we're going to keep the 5% rate of return. We're going to keep the 20% savings. All right. Um, but now I'm not going to go through all the numbers again, but now by working those extra years and now they'll postpone social security until 70, at least because now they're working till 72. All right. Um, so he'll get more social security. The, the spousal is not going to change because remember the deferred social security credits is only for the primary it, it, it spousal, the spousal, the one half spousal doesn't go up with the deferred credits. If you, if I just lost you, just call us. We'll I'll explain that to you. As a matter of fact, if you come in for a free consultation and you've never had a professional social security analyzer, you know, report run for you, you bring it, you know, let us know and we'll run that report with all the break evens and explain that to you. You know, even if you don't become a client, you'll, you can take that report home with you. Um, now, all right. So now we get to the point where now at age 72, okay, a couple things happen. Well, now their lifestyle is costing 153,000. Okay. Um, and, but their nest egg is now at 1,152,000. Okay. Much different, right? Than the 700,000 we were just looked at. So now we go to Benjamin's, but now we, we can uh, uh, change Benjamin's plan because they don't need it for 30 years anymore because they, they work so much longer. Now to age 97 is only 25 years. Okay, so now we can look at it and we can say, okay, so now the higher Social Security is going to be around 84,000 and the 4% first year withdrawal on the million 152 is now 54,000, almost 55,000. So now the first year withdrawal with Social Security is running about 139,000. And I just mentioned that their lifestyle creep at that point is 153,000. Okay, not quite covering it within 14 or 15,000, which we could say, hey, at least I'm in the ballpark. And maybe it's not too much pain to try to cut out or, you know, try to, you know, massage the numbers that I can make that plan work. Okay, so we're getting closer. So if this is starting to make sense, and it's very hard to make sense of this over the radio spreadsheets don't work well over the radio, but if it's starting to have a light bulb go, go off and saying, oh, that may be the difference between what a Monte Carlo analysis is doing for you versus what truly a financial model that's based on your particulars and how you make different scenarios, you know, come in for a free consultation and we can, you know, show you more how we do that for our clients getting just Call our home office at 440-239-2090. That's 
239-2090 and you can get scheduled for a free consultation and we'll run the social security analyzer because that that's a lot of a lot of our new clients coming in that's always one of the topics they want to talk about and learn more about making the right election for social security and it's not that difficult as long as you've got the model backing up the long-term results of your decision but let's we could we could run this a different way too so let's say and this is the last example. We're getting close to the ballpark, but we're still fourteen, fifteen thousand short of our lifestyle creep. And maybe the clients say, "Well, I want to get closer to that mark." So, so, and let's spin this around. And another way saying spending less, how much less, is the other way in saying, "Well, Mark, tell me what my savings rate. If twenty percent, if I start saving twenty percent at age fifty, that's not enough. What does my savings rate, by crying out loud, have to be to make my plan work?" All right, so I'm going to save you the number crunching. The solution came out to be 29%, meaning that if they started saving 29% at age 50 of their pay, keeping all the other uh, assumptions the same, okay, now that's forcing the discretionary spending even lower. So by the time and now I'm back to the you know the, this is the client who said Mark I don't not gonna that last plan you told me I got to work to seventy two that ain't happening so I went it back to sixty seven but now tell me how much savings I need which then tells me how much cutting of spending I've got to make right that's the process that's what the DIY isn't telling people it's just telling you to cut expenses all right um, how much that's what I want to know throw me a bone here. All right, so a way we can do is saying, well, let's do it the other way. Let's force, how much savings do we need? What does the nest egg have to be at age 67 that we can now maintain that lifestyle for the 30, you know, the 30 years of retirement? So, so in this case, based on the 29% savings, so now the cumulative savings is a million seventy-two thousand. Congratulations, you know, you're back to the millionaire, even though you didn't start saving until age 50. Who would have thunk it? Now, but we kept the mandatory spending the same with the higher inflation. So now the discretionary in year one is no longer 30%. It's got to be dropped down to 21%. And by the time they get down to age 67, that has dropped to 18,000. So they're de- so obviously that's what's happening here. They're cutting discretionary spending so they can keep at least some level of that going for 30 years in retirement. All right. Now, so what is their bracket or their lifestyle creep at that point? So they still have the 100,000 in mandatory living expenses. Now they've got the 18,000 in discretionary spending so it's about you know 117,000 total the 99 and the and 18 okay so now they got to keep that 117,000 going with inflation but now they're starting with a nest egg of a million 72,000 so following Benjamin's 4% rule the first year withdrawal is 43,000 and change so you've got their um they've got the higher social security uh no we're back to the lower social security now cuz now they're back to retiring at 67 so they've got 72,594 in social security income plus the 43,635 first year withdrawal using the 4% rule so now their total cash flow is 116,229 and what did they say what did i say their their lifestyle creep was at that time 117,000 
they're right there. See, I forced it. I backed into it. Okay, and, and now, and, and they're saying, well, is that something, you know, maybe that's the pathway they want to take. Okay, um, now you could do this the other way, too. You know, the, the other DIY solution is, well, just earn more. Okay, um, because remember, you know, we're using 5% as the investment rate of return. Well, how comfortable, how realistic, how conservative are you going to be if you're going to raise that number a lot higher? Um, but, I mean, you can ask your investment advisor. You can say, hey, Mr. Investment Advisor, based on how you have my account allocated today, can you tell me what is a long-range rate of return I could be using in my financial model? All right, and see what they say. Um, now, but just saving you the math again, let's go back to this scenario where they want to retire still at 67. We got the higher inflation they have to deal with. They, they're going to maintain the 20% withholding, but they're going to maintain the 30% discretionary. Okay. So now what we have to do then is we've got to get their, um, you know, we've got to get their, investments growing more so there's a larger nest egg okay and saving you the math it came out to be about an eight percent rate of return and if they could get an eight percent rate of return over those 18 years okay now they'd have a nest egg of about nine hundred and ninety thousand, and they've got a lifestyle creep at that point of about one hundred and thirty-two thousand. so again running the math um, the 72,000, you know, the, the, the 99, the 990,000, the 4% rule, 57,000 coming out the first year plus the 72,000 in social security gives them a total cash flow of 130,000 and their lifestyle creep at that point is 132,000. Yeah, they're right there. All right. So, and we, and, and actually I can even go further than this, but maybe you're getting the idea. So I may even come back next week. And with maybe a couple more final scenarios on how you could spin this. In the meantime, uh, Eric, sound engineer extraordinaire, has guaranteed me that the Browns won't lose this weekend. So that's good news. And um, next week also, what scares you, what scares me, I'm going to go over one of my favorite horror shows, The Incredible Shrinking Middle Class. All right, have a good week, everyone. Tune in next week for more financial food for thought. For more information about the show, for estate planning or upcoming seminars, call the estate planning team at 440-239-2090. Thanks for listening. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.